Lord, we gather again with angel choirs and all those who've gone before to give you the glory and the honor and the praise that is yours and is yours alone. We bless you, Lord, and we thank you and we praise you. We pray that who we are, wherever we are, we be a people of honor, a people of respect, a people who acknowledge you as the Savior of the world. But more importantly today, our Savior too. So we bless you, Lord, and we thank you. We thank you for all the many gifts you give us. We thank you for the gift of prayer. So brothers and sisters in Christ, would you pray with me the prayer that he taught us? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I wonder if we could continue with this idea of silence. And so as, as Clay has suggested, perhaps especially for the little ones, and if you have little ones in your home or around, could we model for them maybe by putting our hands over our ears? And we're going to just take two minutes now and have two minutes of silence together. So would you join me, please? Let's spend two, two minutes in silence. Thank you. Especially thank you, young people, for being willing to join. I'd like to take just a couple minutes and just review for you who we are and what we're trying to become as a people together. So can I show you the core values diagram that is ours? We've used this now for the last several years with small adaptations. So if you look in the very center, you see the ends policy. And this is the purpose of Third Church. Our purpose is to be a people who increasingly do three things. 
We are people who increasingly bear the fruit of the Spirit. That means people see in us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. But also they see in us as we long to become a people who grow in intimacy with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And finally, the people see us and know us as a people who are growing in ever-increasing sacrificial generosity. So the ends policy is the purpose of our church. It's why we exist. Well, how do we do it? Around the ends policy are the words word and spirit. And we want to be a people who embrace, listen to, embrace, 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 and obey the words of God found in Scripture. At the same time, we live with an empowerment with, in, and by the Holy Spirit. We long for his gifts. We long to bear fruit. So we live the ends policy. We become people of the ends policy by word and spirit. But we're trying to figure out how do we help that it become embedded in us, and so we have the four core values. The first is identity. I'm sorry, intimacy, and then identity and belonging and purpose. And increasingly, as a people, we're growing in all our ministries, trying to become those kinds of people. Intimate, deeply created for relationship with God. People who understand deep down that we know who we are and whose we are. We understand we've been created for deep connection with others. And finally, we know we're sent with significance for kingdom impact. So that's who we are trying to be in our values. Well, can I tell you now where we're gonna go in the next 16 weeks, if I may? So our sentence that this all thing is wrapped around is called flourish in love. Love for God, love for neighbor, and love for the world. We're gonna do that by following Jesus, our king. So we're gonna study the gospel of Mark. We're gonna apply it from January 2 until April 17. April 17 is Easter. So for 16 consecutive weeks, we want to be in the book of Mark, learning. And so Clay talked about, and he will again in a moment, just how we are going to use a texting opportunity to share with each other growing into Christ. Can I have the next slide, please, Tracy, then? And so we, to our teaching team, I've given a resource that we're using. And if you'd like to be mindful of that, we're using a book entitled Jesus the King by Timothy Keller. And Keller is interesting as an, as an aside. He is battling cancer for the second time. He may not have long to live, but he wrote this book about seven, eight years ago, and now he's writing a book years later about the resurrection of Jesus the King. So over these next 16 weeks, we're going to take our titles and our passages, 16 chapters of Mark from Jesus the King. Now having said that, I'd like to just do a little bit of introduction for the Gospel of Mark. And then I would like to have a conversation with Clay. Clay was supposed to preach in the auditorium today, and because of the cancellations, uh, he is not. So, we're going to do a little bit of sharing together. Let me talk a little bit about the setting of the gospel, if I may. And I, I, I hate to admit this. So, I've been a pastor for 40 years, and I've, you know I study scripture a lot and all that kind of stuff, but I'm just amazed how much I don't know. I'm just clueless about so much. So, let, let me just share just a few things in background that might make this passage the, the book of Mark come alive for us. Let me talk about context. Do you remember last year when we did the passage, studied the book of First Peter? And if you remember, we went through the whole book. Let me read from chapter four, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ 
so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now, why am I reading that to you? Well, let me tell you the context. The context is about 65 to 70 AD. And what's happening to the Christians in 65 to 70 AD? What's the fiery ordeals? Well, let me tell you what happened. The Emperor Nero decided the tenements in Rome were quite problematic for many reasons. And so he had his soldiers put them on fire. The whole of Rome was burning. 80% of Rome burned up. And the people were furious, furious with Nero because it was said Nero set the fires. So he had to find a scapegoat. Who was the scapegoat? Well, it's those Christians. So all of a sudden, persecution breaks out. What's the fire ordeal? Now watch these three steps. Watch this. First, Nero, to placate an angry populace about those Christians who started the fire, quote unquote, he captured Christians, he covered them with animal skins, he put them in enclosed areas and had feral dogs attack them. So Christians were being devoured by dogs. What's the fiery ordeal? Here was the second one. Nero was a perverted man. He had sex with anything and everything. Part of what he would do on his estate was have orgies. And he would take Christians, he would impale them, cover them with pitch, and burn them alive as he had his orgies on his palace estate. Peter writes, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're experiencing. Well, what is, what's, the, what's the third thing? Well, it wasn't enough to placate the Romans, so then they took the Christians and put them in the Colosseum and set lions on them. So what does Peter say? Don't be surprised at the trials. You're suffering like Christ. How did Christ suffer? He was crucified, beaten, spat upon, all that. Why would Mark or Peter write that? And what does that have to do with Mark? And now follow me. Mark was, the book Gospel of Mark was written about 65 to 70 A.D., about 30 years after Jesus. How did they know what happened to Jesus? There was no, no written word. So Peter and Mary, mother of Jesus, became the sources for Mark's gospel. So all the stories of persecution, all the things that Jesus said were heard, a culture that heard, they heard what Jesus had said and done, and Mark began to gather all of them in a season of great persecution. Why? Because he wanted the followers of Jesus, 30 years after Jesus had risen, who were now experiencing enormous persecution, to have the opportunity to be strong and steadfast because they believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. So that's the context. But who's the author? Now this is, this is one of the things that just blew my mind. The author is a young man named John Mark. Let me tell you about this young guy. His mother was very, very wealthy. The early church met in an upper room. It was in Mary's house. In the arrangements for the Last Supper, who was the young man who Jesus said you would find? And to whose home would the Last Supper be held? Mary's house. Do you remember when Jesus talked to a rich young ruler who said, Master, what must I do to be inherit eternal life? What did Jesus say? You love God, love neighbor, and give all you have to the poor. And the text says he went away sad, and Jesus had compassion. Who was the young man? It was John Mark. Who was the young man when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane who ran away naked because he was so afraid of the soldiers? It was John Mark. 
Who was the man in the midst of a missionary journey who thought things are just too tough here? He ran away from the journey. Who was the sissy who ran away? It was Mark. And now this guy, this young guy named Mark, is now writing 30 years later about Jesus, and this guy has become a stalwart. I am going to live and die and follow Jesus. And he writes a fast, 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 action-paced gospel. 42 times the word uses the word immediately. Immediately, immediately. Jesus is just going, going. In the passage we're going to read in just a minute, Jesus is baptized, comes out of the water, and immediately, the text is always about the act of Jesus. Why is this important? Because the church is being persecuted. They're wondering, is Jesus actually who we think he is? And so the first the gospel accounts, the gospel of Mark, was written to encourage a people who were afraid and lost and anxious and fearful and wondering, and now they have their first written story of Jesus. Now, as we read it, you're going to find, don't, don't expect to follow logical order. This is Mark remembering from Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Peter, all kinds of things about Jesus. He puts them together to show that Jesus, for chapter 1, verse 1, is the Messiah, the Son of God. So why did he write his gospel? He wrote his gospel to encourage the people who are in hard times to keep focusing on Jesus. What's that have to do with us? Okay. So we can talk about all the things that happened in the last two years, and there are many. But I think the thing that we're being called to in 22 is to fall hopelessly in love with Jesus. And that's where we're going to spend 16, 16 weeks, because this is, this is, if we'll become people of the words of Jesus, Gospel of Mark, if we'll become part of these texting groups and help each other understand who is this Jesus to me, Who's Jesus to you? Who is Jesus? Now, we're not talking about dead guy. We're talking about a risen Jesus. As we grow in a love for appreciation relationship with the risen Jesus, we're going to become a revived people. So that's what we're trying to do. Now, having said all that, Clayton, you coming up with me? We're going to have a little conversation. I asked him a couple questions. If we could just talk about what he was thinking as he was working on preaching in the auditorium. So first question, Clay, you've been studying Mark for more than a month. Yep. You've been thinking about it, writing about it. You and I have talked repeatedly. You're sending me emails and texts. What's personally impacting you as you read the words of Mark about Jesus? A couple things. Uh, well, you talked about the urgency. I'll talk about that in a second. But the entry point, this has really been rocking me the last couple of weeks, the entry point into the kingdom is repentance and forgiveness. So I feel the Lord's really been pushing me to ask the question, well, what do I need to repent from? What do I need to change my thinking from? And what do I need to be forgiven of? I find that I don't personally, I don't ask for forgiveness that often. I don't think to. And so I think if that's a problem for me, I assume it's a problem for other people. Why don't you ask for forgiveness very often? Uh, I think, I still think about it, I don't think. I, I, I think... So like yesterday, I was with my kids and, and myself and my little girls all were not kind to mommy. So I told my girls they should say sorry to mommy and ask for forgiveness. I said, well, guess what? Daddy has to too. So just being mindful of how many times in a day I need help. So that's been striking to me and that the fact that John the Baptist was so, 
I guess, uh, people are so drawn to this crazy man out in the wilderness who is wanting you to repent and be forgiven. The whole countryside came. And Jesus' mission statement is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. So that really struck me. And then I think that the urgency, so I think there's like, um, the, he uses the, the historical present tense like 150 times, you know, immediately 40 times. He uses the word and all the time. He's driving, 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 and there's two big confessions about who Jesus is. So he's urgently trying to get us to confess, to recognize what kind of Savior Messiah he is. Mm-hmm. Did it surprise you that three times, there are three very clear references, he said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer and die. Why do you think he had to keep repeating that? I think because the, the Messiah that was pictured of who, who my Savior is. I even thought about just the last couple of years. H- how many different things have I th- thought would save something? My Savior changes all the time. Mm-hmm. But so he's saying, you don't, you don't get it. So there's like the, the idea that there's a messianic secret. He doesn't want people to know who he is. Well, I think he wants people to know who he actually is. And they have incorrect ideas all the time as to who he really is. Mm-hmm. And so the whole book is driving us, and then the person who gets it, which to spoil the end, is the person you'd least expect. Well, even before that. So the, the demons know who he is in chapter right. one. The right. demons are, you're the son of God. Right. Not Syrophoenician woman. She knows. Yeah. Right. The centurion knows, but the disciples don't it's know. It's the people who should know, mm-hmm. don't know. And so so it's does really that apply to us, you think, that we should know but may don't know who Jesus is? I do, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, we don't, I know we know lots of things about Jesus. We know great answers about Jesus, but how often does that silence and solitude, do we know Jesus? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, I'm just really struck by that. Good. Um, in this reading and reflecting in these last month or so, what, has anything surprised you in the book of Mark? I think what really surprised me was how little Jesus speaks. How little he speaks. It's prim- I, I read that if you read all of Mark, it'll take you an hour and a half. And Jesus talks for 20 minutes of it. So the majority of his gospel is what Jesus is doing. Mm-hmm. Watch how he lives. It's mm-hmm. also, uh, I think I read the, the most um, real look at Jesus' emotions. So Peter, right, the eyewitness, yeah. is an emotional guy. And so he is recognizing how Jesus feels as things are happening. And so to see Jesus' response, to hear his words, but then to see his response to people, I think has been fascinating as well mm-hmm. and, and encouraging. You know, what surprised me and led a few words is that, or I think I remember right, 120 questions. Hmm. He asked questions all the time. Yeah. And I thought that's really interesting. He doesn't say a lot, but much of what he says is around questions. Right. Different direction, last thing. Yep. Why are we texting? Why are we doing text groups, especially... I want to know why are we doing do. text I know groups. you do. Uh, so the thought is, um, so we want to be in this together. When, uh, the goal today, my, my only goal is that we all sign up to read all of Mark this year. It's an hour and a half of reading, but what if we read it in small groups where we could actually could hear other people's thoughts? And so we respond or see text messages within 90 seconds. We're bombarded by things, but we seem to see text messages the quickest. And so the idea is if we can have small groups Via text, we can hold each other accountable. We can encourage each other in very few texts because we all have the family texts where there's so many that you have 60, and at the end, it's like, I don't even want to read all those. So we really want to create small groups in our church. So you can text Mark to that number. We'll put you in a random group because I also had the thought, you know, we kind of surround ourselves with people that we're like or think like us. So you're going to get into a random group, and we're going to be sharing once a week what we see in each chapter. 
So we're going to get new perspectives as to who Jesus is. Because it seems to be there's a problem in the book that people don't know who he is. Mm-hmm. It's, there's a lot of confusion. So it's a really simple idea. Is that, is it, is it the, the idea is that uh, on Mondays or Tuesdays, if you sign up right now, you'll have a leader. The leader is going to remind you of what you're reading. On Friday, that same leader is going to write you and is going to share what they saw in, in the passage. What stood out to them? What challenged them? What resonated with them? How did the text impact their week? And say, would you do the same thing? So there's two other people in your group, four total people. You'll each share. That's a total of five texts. But the book of Mark is in the front of your mind. And the words of Jesus are constantly in front of your mind. And so uh, I had this idea, story of, uh, I want you to sign up. So here, here's my story. It's my own story. And just listen to this. So uh, uh, why should you sign up? Regardless if you know Jesus or you don't. So I was a young man living in Chicago. I was a young single man, and I was hoping to find a wife. I got put in this project, and I met this wonderful lady. And for six weeks, I watched her live. I watched how she lived. I didn't always, she spoke, but I watched how she lived. And I saw the Holy Spirit inside of her. I thought to myself, oh, man, i got to marry this lady. It's my wife now, nine years. So I knew at the beginning, at that time, I want to share life with Kelly. Just last week, uh, somebody brought us some peanut clusters and some white chocolate. And Kelly says, I love white chocolate. I said, since when? I didn't know you liked white chocolate. Well, I always have. But you love dark chocolate, so I always eat that. So I feel like I learned two new things about my wife. One, she likes white chocolate. Good to know. But two, how much my wife loves me. So I'm constantly learning about Kelly. So maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you don't know about Jesus. Well, you can learn about Jesus. You can be on the front end of your journey. Or maybe you're 40, 50 years into your journey, and you're still learning new things about Jesus. So by joining this group, we will learn, we will not just learn, we will know who our king is. Mm -hmm. And then live differently. So I would encourage you. It'll be up. We'll remind you again. Remind you several times. You can join any time in the 16 weeks. Would you text the word Mark to that phone number and join a group? The first time Clay said that to me, this was my response. <laughs> <laughs> but you're in. Thanks, well All right. Thanks, honey. Let's continue now. Let's go, let's go, to, the, let's go to Mark for a few minutes. And the Keller's title is The Dance. So what's the dance he's talking about? Let's look at chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. I'm going to focus on just a few verses, but I need to rush through just a little bit here. Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Please hear the word of the Lord. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. That's the theme verse for the whole book. In the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. This is the first written gospel. And then he points to multiple passages in the Old Testament as is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So look at the words, way, way, path. There's an idea of there's a specific one who's going to show the way. Verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem, went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, 
with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with or in the Holy Spirit. Now, now we come to the dance. Watch the Trinity, the dance. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. Notice those two words, torn open. And the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. So notice, torn open. It says descending on him. The, the Greek text says the Spirit descended into him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So those two, that phrase, you are my son whom I love, that comes from Psalm 2, verse 7. Whenever a king was crowned in Israel, Psalm 2 was read. And when he was crowned, they said, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. But it's also a reference to Isaiah 42, verse 1. And what, so what's, what's being said here for a second? So you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all engaged. Now, stay with me now. Watch, watch this. The, I used this phrase several years ago talking about this, this idea of the circle of love, and I called it the, the, the circle of love instead of the dance, circle of the dance of love. The Greek word for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is P-E-R-C-H-E-R-O-S-I-S. -E it is a relationship. It is a relationship of love when all three, one, two, three, they are constantly in motion together. They're in relationship. They're together. They're for each other. They submit to each other. All of that's going on now. I want you to think about this now. Listen, Bob, stay with me. You see it two specific times. Genesis chapter 1, in creation, what do you see? Father, Son, and Spirit. What? The circle of love, the dance of love together, Father, Son, and Spirit are creating this creation we call the earth. When Jesus is baptized, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all engage in a dance, a circle of love. And the Father says, that's my boy. And the Spirit says, I know, and I'm going to go into him. And now Father, Son, and Spirit at creation, and now at new beginnings with Jesus in ministry, you have Father, Son, and Spirit. Oh, but there's one more. What's the third one? The transfiguration. We're going to see that in chapter 9. All of a sudden, Peter, John, James, Jesus on the mount. And all of a sudden, the cloud comes down, Shekinah, the glory of God. And Jesus turns as white as white can be, dazzling white. And another voice comes from the heavens. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And what has Jesus just said to his disciples? Three times he's going to say it, starting in chapter 8. The son of man will come. He'll be betrayed. He'll be killed. And he will rise. And Father, Son, and Spirit, three times at creation and at redemption, say what? You know you're who you are. You're intimately connected with us. Your identity is part of us. You belong to us, and your purpose is to save the world. A couple slides, real quick. Okay, Tracy, may I have? Oh, you know what? I jumped ahead. I forgot. We gotta show the video. Let me give you the video. Sorry, Tracy. Sorry, Andy. 
Let's go to the video. This is about a five-minute clip or so. This is an overview of Mark, and I want you to see this because it's going to give you some visuals to what I just said. Please. Thank you. The Gospel of Mark is a book in the Bible about the life of Jesus, and the earliest reliable tradition tells us that it was written by a guy named John Mark. Now, Mark didn't just grab a bunch of random stories about Jesus and throw them together. He's designed this book to address some really specific questions about whether or not Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. So let's stop right there because that's a term a lot of people like me aren't very familiar with. Yeah, so the Messiah was a royal figure, sometimes called the Son of God, that Israel was expecting to come and set up a kingdom here on earth. And around the time of Jesus, Israel was occupied by Rome, and so many Jews were hoping that the Messiah would come and overthrow the Romans and rule as king. But Jesus didn't overthrow the Romans. In fact, he was killed by them. And that brings us to the very issues Mark is trying to get at in this book. So in the first half, he focuses on who Jesus is. Is he really the Messiah? And then in the second half, he's addressing how Jesus became the Messianic King. And then right here in the middle of the book is this pivotal story that brings the two halves together and Jesus answers both of these questions. Okay, so let's talk about the first half of the book, who Jesus is. So Mark makes his beliefs about Jesus very clear from the first line of the book. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. One of the next stories is Jesus getting baptized and God's voice announces from heaven, this is my son. So it couldn't be more clear, it's presenting Jesus as the Messiah. Yes, but as you're reading through this first half of Mark, you'll notice something really interesting start to happen. Jesus is going about healing all these different people and he's constantly telling them to keep quiet about who he is. This happens so many times in Mark's account, it's very strange. Yeah, why keep it a secret? So remember, lots of Jews had lots of different expectations about what the Messiah would be and do. And so Jesus doesn't want people to misunderstand what it means for him to be Israel's Messiah. And so with all that in mind, we come now to the pivotal story at the center of the book where Jesus takes his disciples away and he asks them, who do you all say that I am? And Peter says what everyone's been saying, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. But then something new happens because Jesus starts explaining to them how he's going to become the Messianic King and it is not what they expected. He says he's going to suffer and die and rule by becoming a servant or in his words, the Son of Man did not come to be served but to become a servant and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter is startled by this and he rebukes Jesus because there's no way he's gonna let Jesus die. And Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan, which is really intense. It really is, but it highlights how important it is for Jesus that his disciples come to understand who he really is. And so here now in this pivotal section, Jesus tries three different times to have this conversation with them and every time they respond in confusion and even fear. Okay, so this launches us into the second half of the book where Mark addresses the question of how Jesus becomes the Messianic King. It's the last week of Jesus' life. He goes to Jerusalem, gets in conflict with the religious leaders, and gets arrested. And he's put on trial as someone who's claiming to be the king of the Jews. He's even given a crown and a purple robe like a king would get, but it is all a cruel joke. Then he's mocked and beaten and hung up on a cross where he dies. And it's here in this crucial scene that we meet a new character. A Roman soldier. Who suddenly gets everything that's going on. He says, surely this is the son of God. Which is crazy. It's an enemy who's first putting it all together that Israel's messianic king is the crucified Jesus. 
That's the structure of the book of Mark. But the book doesn't end with Jesus dead on the cross. No. So on the third day, some women go to visit Jesus' tomb, only to find that it's empty. And then there's this angel standing there, instructing them to go and tell this good news that Jesus is alive from the dead. But instead, they run away and they don't tell anyone because they're afraid. And that's how the book ends. Which is a really abrupt ending. Yeah, it's so abrupt that later scribes did add an ending that brings more closure to the story. And you'll find that story in your Bible with a little footnote that says it was added much later. But Mark's a brilliant storyteller, and he's intentionally ended this book abruptly. So all through the book, the disciples have been confused about Jesus' plan to give up his life, the story in the middle and now right here at the end. It's like Mark is acknowledging just how startling this claim really is. And he wants you, the reader, to wrestle with it for yourself. Is this crucified Jesus really the Messiah that they've been waiting for? I hope by the Holy Spirit, as that was being shown. So if you remember, I, I just read from chapter 1, and uh, in, verses, in verse 11, the voice from heaven says, You are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So every here it is now. Jesus is described as the servant king. In chapter 10 of Mark, he will say, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He's the servant king. The reference they gave, the pivotal moment is in chapter 8, Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. They went to his villages to then to Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, Jesus said, who do folks say I am? Some say John the Baptist, other Elijah. And Jesus says, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. But there's, there's more here you've got to see. So that, right after that now, you're going to have chapter 8. You have Jesus saying, but I'm going to suffer and die. He's a servant king. He's going to serve us to death, be raised to power. He's a servant king. 8, 9, and 10. I'm going to die, I'm going to rise, I'm going to reign. Caesarea Philippi, the first time, the first time Jesus talks about his death, it's at Caesarea Philippi. Let me tell you about Caesarea Philippi. Land and I went there in 1999, and this moment of time was stuck in my head now. Caesarea Philippi, part of it, there's a huge uh, tell, uh, quasi-mountain, like the Los Hills. Imagine, you know what I'm talking about, Los Hills? There's, there's this, not a mountain, but it's a big hill, and there is a, a gap. Just imagine, if you go there, it's about uh, this wide. It goes up to the ceiling here, and it comes down here. And the people in that day, back, back up, up on top of the tell were all kinds of in enclaves where there are all kinds of gods who were given to the God, who were subservient to the demon god Pan, P-A-N. So Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, where this is. What did they call this opening in the ground? The Jewish people called that the gates of hell. So Jesus says to his disciples, at the gates of hell, who do people say I am? Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. But Jesus said, who do you say? And that's going to be the question for all of us for the next 16 weeks. Who do you say Jesus is? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. What did Jesus say? Very next thing. But I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. The point I'm trying to make right now is that often we do not have, we have a limited understanding of who our Jesus is. 
And what I'm going to try to ask us to do for these next 16 weeks is to open our hearts and our minds to the risen, reigning Jesus the King. Now, go back to the dance real fast. Tracy, can I have slides right next to consecutively? 9, 10, and 11. So these, these next three slides, the dark, bold print, the next three slides come from Keller's book. So he argues in his first chapter that the dance of reality is this. Mark's, you know, Father, Son, and Spirit, all together in verse 11, Mark is giving us a glimpse into the very heart of reality, the meaning of life, the essence of our universe. The point he is making is the circle of love is the essence of the universe. So this dance of Father, Son, and Spirit, this perichoresis, that is, this is the center. When you accept Christ and are brought into his family, you become part of the dance, the circle of love. And this holds all of creation and all of everything together. The next slide, please, Tracy. So we enter the dance. Here's Keller's second point. If the world was made and saved by a triune God, then relationships of love, four Greek words for love, the word here is agapao, it's what life is all about. So, Jesus, tell us, what's the most important thing in the law? What did Jesus say? You shall love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. You love your neighbors yourself. That is the law. At the very center of the universe is Father, Son, and Spirit. It is a circle, a dance of love. The essence of life is about love, to will the good of the others. And here's the third point Keller makes. The passage goes on, let me read it real quick, but we dance into battle. Chapter one, verse 13, really interesting. Uh, let's see, at that time, Jesus, 12, I'm sorry, verse 12. At once the Spirit sent him in the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted, or the word better is tested by Satan, he was with wild animals. Why would, why would Mark put wild animals in the passage? Because Christians are being thrown to wild animals. So what's he saying? You're going to get in the circle of love? You want to live in the circle of love? You're going to live in the... Put your seatbelts on. Get your armor on. Get your big boy pants on. Put your big girl pants on. You're going to get in battle now. Now you're going to deal... Now, it's interesting. Before, it says the heavens are torn open. Two times in Mark. Torn open. It's violent. The heavens are torn open. The voice comes down. Jesus is anointed, called, identified, and sent. Immediately, immediately, into battle. Why 40 days? Israel, 40 years. Elijah, 40 days. I mean, 40 everywhere. They all failed. But Jesus goes out. And now, can I have slide, the, the diagram slide, please, Tracy? And this is the one that just so touches me about this. Now go back to the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus goes into battle. He knows who he is. He is intimately connected to the Father, Son, and Spirit. He is in the circle. He is intimately connected. Look at his identity. He knows who he is. He's part of this family. And so because of that, he belongs. He's been deeply connected. He will go into battle as being sent. I don't have time to break all the Greek stuff down. It is, it is, it is as though the Spirit said to Jesus, 
go, go. It's, 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 it's strong, it's push, it's thrust. The word is thrust. He is thrust into battle. What's the purpose? He is sent with significance for kingdom impact. That's what we want to become. We want to be so connected to this dance of love and the entry person, the entry point, is Jesus. What did Jesus say? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So that's where we go. So the action step, Tracy, please. The question I'll be asking in the future something along this line. If I believe I've been adopted by God, then I believe what the Father said about Jesus can also be said about me. Can we believe that we are beloved children of God? And if I did, how would it impact how I live? Please come back next week. We'll learn together. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, and we bless you, and we praise you that you are indeed the King of kings. You've called us into relationship, and you've made the way. And so we thank you and we praise you and bless you for the opportunity and the privilege and the right and the responsibility to be sons and daughters of Almighty God. So I pray that increasingly, as we journey through Mark together, that we'd enter the dance of love we commit our lives more fully to you, Lord. We receive the anointing of your spirit, and we enter spiritual battles, longing to set people free. We bless you, Lord. You are the King of kings. We bless you, Lord, for you are the King of kings. We bless you, Lord. You are the King of kings. Amen.